0: Welcome to the MedTech Talk podcast. This is your host, Jeff Pardo, and it's my pleasure to welcome Lisa Anderson, co-founder and CEO of Paragonix Technologies, a company that's playing a major role in revolutionizing the way we think about organ transport. Lisa herself has had a fascinating journey from scientist and researcher into the world of organ t- transplantation and medical devices. She's one of those unique people that has not only been able to found a company in our space, but also lead it into its acceleration as a commercial entity. Lisa, thanks so much for joining the podcast.
1: Thank you, Jeff, for having me.
0: Well, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. I've always really admired the work that Paragonics is doing and and also the leadership and stick that you've uh, you've demonstrated uh, in you know what is a pretty complex uh, area with many stakeholders. But to get us started, I, I thought it would be great if you could share a little bit about your own background, you know, where you grew up and what sparked your interest in medicine and science.
1: Yeah, um well, Jeff, I um I was born and bred in Austria. Um I am the daughter of two physicians. So, uh, you know, we we talked a lot about clinical care, patient care at home. Um and uh when I was 18, it was time for me to um into those stages that will would then later on uh, uh make me an, an entrepreneur I was actually enrolled in medical school and um decided that uh I would be a scientist first so I uh, uh embarked on a uh, journey that led me to the UK where I studied biomedical sciences uh and then uh did a PhD in medical genetics. And via the UK, I then ended up in Boston, where I pursued uh, academic research at Harvard Medical School and the Broad Institute at MIT, and then founded Paragonics in 2010.
0: Tell us a little bit about what what was your area of uh, research when you were when you were at Harvard and, and before?
1: Yeah, my my focus was on complex disease genetics. And uh, I was particularly interested in autoimmune diseases. Um, So type 1 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, uh, those were the diseases that I focused on. And funnily enough, uh, it was actually this research that then uh, led me to transplantation. Um, because as I was studying organs, such as the pancreas, I discovered how donor organs are transported, uh, for transplantation. So, uh, it's, uh, uh, it wasn't a direct path into transplant, but, um, I think my research had, had me very well prepared to look out for unmet needs in this area.
0: It was there was there kind of a moment when you realized just exactly how it was done in in treating these organs and and sort of the light flash for you that there's got to be a better way? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, Jeff, there there really was a moment. Um, you know, seeing a human organ, um, I think for most people it. Um, uh, elicits a certain, you know, set of emotions and reactions, uh, especially since, you know, any organ, whether it's donated for research or transplantation, that organ has been left by somebody, by a donor hero. And, um, so I did have a, a particular moment and this moment happened in a research lab where, um, as part of my research for type one diabetes, um, I uh, became interested in in the human pancreas, and and I actually uh, saw how a human pancreas was delivered into the laboratory. Um, it came in a uh, in a box in a cool box filled with crushed ice, and uh, when I saw that, I kind of thought like, "Wow, um, they're sending human pancreas organs uh, in a box, completely uncontrolled and unmonitored." How are they doing that for transplant? And um, well, I found out that uh, this was sort of the standard of care for human transplantation. Um, these organs were recovered from from donors and then um, placed into a series of sterile plastic bags filled with a preservation solution, and then this assembly is is placed into a um, an ice cooler filled with crushed ice, and it was so not 21st century like that i was shocked i was like this is unbelievable that there are no devices to control the transport of organs and so um it was about a year and a half later when i said you know i know enough about this now about this huge issue that um i really put um uh uh put all my research together in this area and said, you know, we, we've we got to do something about this. There's got to be a better way to transport these organs.
0: And it's, you know, it's probably like self-evident, you know, why it's a not a great solution, but what, to the, to uh, have it transported in, in a cooler. But what actually happens to an organ when it's subject to changing temperatures or, or you know too much cold on one side versus less on the other what can you talk a little bit about what actually happens to the organ
1: yeah so the intent uh is to cool an organ down uh, sufficiently to reduce the me- uh, metabolic demand of the organ right to so basically slow its metabolism down um and thereby preserving the tissue and the cells and the whole organ until it reaches that transplant recipient. The problem is that um, ice and a cool box um, really doesn't provide for a standardized and monitored uh, mechanism of doing that correctly. Um, So when when we think about putting things on ice, we actually think about the hypothermia uh, that we'd like to harness here yeah we'd, we'd like to have the benefit of hypothermia, uh, meaning temperatures between four and eight degrees Celsius. It's just not a very good way of doing it when you place it into a cooler where ice is really really not at four to four degrees Celsius it's it's at zero Celsius. So what happens to the organ is it rapidly cools down to freezing temperatures. And then you can't really control that temperature during transport. So what happens to the organ is it's not only getting too cold in certain places, it may also get too warm in other places. So you have temperature gradients across the organ on top of that injurious uh, freezing injury.
0: And, And practically speaking, what does that mean in terms of how many organs end up not being actually implantable?
1: you know that's a very difficult uh statistic and and uh um the, the 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 real i mean the reason for organ shortages has is is complex um and and really involves um you know the organ utilization rate per donor how many organs actually make it into recipient um but the the real issue here with organs being placed in an ice cooler for transport is that it impacts patient outcomes. Mm. Um, You know, a third of all patients across the solid organ transplants uh, experience a a complication right after transplantation, uh, which is called primary graft dysfunction or early allograft dysfunction uh, or delayed graft function, graft being the organ. And so, uh, you know, what we... uh, Thought when we were looking at preservation is, is there a link between ice storage and poor outcomes right after transplantation? And that's the big question that we have asked ourselves here at Paragonics. Um, and now we have uh, globally, we have uh, over thirty transplant centers helping us address this question for heart and lung. We already have clear evidence that the ice storage method of transporting organs results in worse outcomes compared to when you provide for a controlled storage, such as in the paragonics devices. So we're really excited about this impact that we're making by controlling the storage of organs and the transport of organs uh, on the journey from donor to transplant and the, the positive uh, impact that these devices have on uh, transband outcomes.
0: And we're going to talk a lot more about that. I want to circle back to one thing before we get more um, uh, more deeply into the into the topic of paragonics and and some of the data you're genera- generating in the and the real world experience. But as you were leaving your career in academia and entering into entrepreneurship, I just curious how what your colleagues, thought of that did they think you were you're nuts to be jumping into medical devices and something quite different than your research
1: absolutely they thought I was nuts <laughs> <laughs> yes um you know including my own family who thought i was I was insane leaving a Uh, a well-established academic career, uh, in complex disease genetics for, you know, a, uh, uh, for a startup. Um, but I think that, you know, uh, they thought I was nuts, but they all shared that, uh, uh, some, somebody has to do something about this, right? It's such a tremendous need um, to improve outcomes in transplant and, and provide new technologies in this area. If you think about it, Jeff, um, the fast five years past five decades in transplant haven't really seen uh, any big innovations in in organ transplantation as it relates to organ preservation that uh, has the potential to really change the standard of care. And so while they thought I was nuts starting uh, a, a new venture and leaving my academic career, I think everybody saw the tremendous need in this field.
0: Yeah. And so here, so here you are, then you've got, you've identified this, you know, key clinical unmet need. You've got an idea, I presume about, uh, how to solve this, but can you talk about the early days of paragonics? Like, how did you, how did you get it going in both from a financial standpoint, but also from the engineering and product standpoint?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they always say there's there's no straight line in startups, and I think that that's exactly what we also experienced. It, it for me, uh, starting off this company, it was very important to really understand the clinical environment, the stakeholders involved, uh, the complexity of these cases. So, um, you know, I dedicated about nine months uh, of you know the early part of, of Paragonics to just traveling with transplant and donation teams to understand what kind of pains that they're experiencing um, in this procedure, uh, what works, what doesn't work. Uh, Because I really wanted to help them with technology that could compete with what they were doing for five decades, right? And if you think about it, our competition here is an ice chest. It's easy to use, it, ice is everywhere, you can find it at almost any location. Um, and uh, and it's been used for, for several decades already. So uh, what really was important for me as a founder here, was to observe every uh, seconds of this procedure, understanding how a new technology could fit in, And um, I remember my first meeting with um, the engineering team that I just hired uh, on a contracting basis. I explained to them what the issue was and sort of framed out how we were going to go about uh, with our device. And then I ended the meeting with saying, and by the way, we've got to be more intuitive to use and faster to use than an Mm icebox. And they just looked at me and said, well, that's, that's, <laughs> that is a uh, pretty big hurdle for us to consider from an engineering standpoint. So I think we set ourselves up for success by really understanding what the issue was. Transplantation and donation, uh, I feel, is one of the most complex uh, areas of medicine. It requires not only um, you know, the clinical and surgical expertise, but also the logistics expertise, um, and the coordination of multiple teams coming together that are part of a donation procedure. Um, so that's, that was from the, you know, from the, from the product side that definitely, uh, played a big part here, understanding, really understanding what the problem is and, and how do we set ourselves up for, for success? Um, from a from a more of a corporate standpoint, um, I learned very early on in my career that um, it's always best to surround yourself with the smartest people. And I I was very lucky and feel very fortunate that um, here in the Boston area we have so many bright minds that uh, gave me their time early on as I started this company from the investment community uh, to the, the scientific, the clinical, the engineering community, um, there was a lot of excitement about Paragonics from the get-go.
0: Yeah. And and how challenging was it to move from, you know, really doing research and, and science into the business side of things? I mean, I, I can imagine your ability to, you know, really figure out, you know, what the key unmet needs are and kind of what the product need to look like. I imagine that fit well with kind of, you're basically doing research into that. But, but on the business side, was that, was it like a whole new set of concepts or how much time had you spent thinking about all the things you'd have to think about to turn this into a business?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was I thrown into the deep end? Yes. (laughs) Um, I had to learn how to swim very quickly. I think Uh, I, uh, um, you know, I, I think one of the very important things that entrepreneurs um, really need to be aware as they start a business is what do I know? And what do I don't know? Where do I need help? And, um, and I think I was able to surround myself with business advisors that really cared about our venture, really cared about the business and really cared about me. Um, combined with that, uh, I have, you know, the best investors that you can think of, uh, uh, and, um, uh, very early on I was, uh, joined by, Uh, uh, especially two investors that have been instrumental to the success of this company, very successful business people that provided a ton of guidance and uh, I couldn't get enough of their guidance. So I think the combination of surrounding myself with uh, business advisors and with the, the right investors was absolutely key in me being able to transition into this business and uh, take over more and more of the business um, responsibilities. Um, I actually, uh, you know, as you uh, saw my background, I actually served the company as president and chief operating officer for a number of years. And I partnered with uh, a wonderful um, chief executive officer who ran a company. And I was really uh, working and collaborating with him shoulder to shoulder to build this business. So um uh the the transition from research to uh business wasn't easy but um I think the drive and the passion that we all had in getting this going and the sense of urgency to uh really disrupt the standard of care um all drove us in a in a wonderful uh, collaborative path that uh, is giving us the success that we have today.
0: Yeah. And in in those early days, what were the key challenges in terms of designing the product? Uh, uh, you know, I, this idea of temperature control makes complete intuitive sense. But, I mean, I, I imagine you have to react to a wide variety of uh, of environments, you know, on the tarmac at an airport uh, where it's, you know, 110 degrees and everything um, below that. Was that a challenge to actually create a system that would maintain temperature or what were some of the early tech issues?
1: Yeah. You know, when you look at our systems, the best compliments that we can uh, get and that we love to to hear is, uh, oh, it's so simple. I wish I'd come up with this. Um, But there's years and years of uh, research and development and uh, and iterations uh, involved, and uh, you know, if you think about the complexity of donation and transplantation, where you have to account for um, actually every case that happens in the United States today is is an end of one, right? Is it's it's a new environment that our devices are used in, and they have to uh, play in these complex, uh, high stakes environments uh, where there is simply no room for failure. And so the robustness of the system, the, uh, that standardization and the ability for our surgeons to use our devices, you know, at at three o'clock in the morning, that's important. And, uh, that took quite a bit of time. So, um, there is actually a lot of complexity behind our products and, um, it, our intent is to make it as uh, intuitive and elegantly simple as, as possible so that it does fit into that complex clinical environment.
0: And as you were, as you were out on the road really understanding this whole process, I mean temperature controls a clear unmet need. What were some of the other needs that you identified as you, as you were out there in the field?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, one of the other important uh, areas that we have uh, been able to contribute to in a meaningful way is as uh, donation and transplantation involves, you know, multiple medical teams, multiple uh, centers, like there's a donor hospital and there's a transplant center in these organs are traveling between two hospitals or more hospitals. Um, So what we have started to innovate in and provide solutions for is in the tracking of uh, these organs and our devices, but also in the tracking of all of the clinical milestones that are involved in a donation procedure. Uh, Coupled to that is uh, the need to uh provide an integrated communication platform for these teams. Uh, just imagine uh, a, a part of a transplant team, you know, flying out to another city to procure an organ. Well, they have the 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 part of the team that stays at home at the recipient institution needs to know and be in the know of this donation procedure. So we have provided the an, a, a digital platform that provides a comprehensive solution to many of the pain points that these teams uh, uh, generally have as they are part of this procurement process for organs. So this is a very important uh, area, and we... Uh, have actually uh now expanded our own internal team to continue to anim- innovate this in this area because I think uh transplantation has really been overlooked by many in terms of providing digital solutions for um but Jeff, I have to tell you that you know when when we uh talked with our clinicians and surgeons many years ago uh for you know I requested often a wish list what what would they like to see in an organ preservation and transport device and I still have this list on on a long PowerPoint slide mm-hmm. it it's probably has about 400 different things on it yeah wow. and uh I think had I not uh been very firm with we want to change the standard of care with a simple to use intuitive solution that provides superior clinical outcomes. I might have gotten sidetracked and actually incorporated many of the things that uh, they, they requested. And I can tell you that would have not only prolonged our uh, uh, development path, but I also think it would have provided for a complex device Mm. in a complex clinical situation. And that's not what we set out to do for Paragonics. We wanted to provide a simple device that provides superior clinical outcomes and that is uh, easy to use and has an intuitive user profile uh, uh, when uh, these recoveries occur. So uh, we basically struck out 399 of uh, the things on this wish list and stuck with one thing, we provide them with superior organ preservation, uh, and I'm very glad we were very disciplined in this approach.
0: Yeah, and that you know that takes enormous discipline. I mean, you, you know, you, you you know, there's a real value in being customer focused and customer centric, but at the same time, you know, perfection can be the enemy of of the of the good and getting something out there that's already a tremendous. That's right. uh, So that's, yeah, that, that really resonates. Um, so, so as you, as you started then designing the first technology, how how did that go? Was there, how close is the original concept to where you are now?
1: Yeah, the the original concept, um, was a heart product. Um, and this is called the Paragonic Shurpa Pack Cardiac Transport System. um. And of course, there were many iterations of this product, but uh, the product we launched in uh, 2019 is the product that now preserves over 35% of organs, of hearts, uh, transplanted in the United States. So uh, we yes, we did spend several years in R&D and made sure that we had the right product uh, as we went to market. Because we needed to get this right. You know, you only get one chance to really uh, transform a market. And um, we, uh, uh, when we launched the product very early on, even though we didn't have clinical data at that point, we knew we had a winner. And the reason why we knew we had a winner is, is the feedback from the surgeons was always the same after the use of the product. It's intuitive. It's easy to use. When I take the heart out of the Paragonic sherpa cardiac transport system, the hearts feel different. And upon implantation, our recipients are doing better. So uh, we 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 are uh, obviously gratified that this uh, the clinical data that we've generated uh, confirms this very early uh, you know, anecdotal feedback that we received three years ago., uh, but this is the product that uh, we currently have for the heart market. Uh, we then, based on the success, we then adapted uh, the concept to lungs uh, and now livers and uh, for for lungs, we are seeing the very same traction that we had for uh heart uh, and so do we liver as well. so the the concept of optimizing this hypothermic therapeutic uh, therapeutic protective effect uh, in our devices, um, holds across organs and uh, for us it's now about the commercial execution and uh continuing to generate clinical evidence to really um uh, uh, change the standard of care also for lung and liver just like what we did in in heart transplantation
0: and and what I really love about what you're you're describing it's it's this, really solutions oriented approach as opposed to being you know just a, a technology that's inserted into an existing process it seems to me that by melding the digital aspect and the service aspect with the technology you've created you know a a solution for for all the stakeholders it's not you know it's not just the procedure itself that goes better but the whole process runs more smoothly. Is is that something that evolved over time or was that always your vision?
1: No, it evolved over time. Uh, Now looking back, I I would love to say it was my vision, (laughs) (laughs) but it really evolved over time as we got to know our customers more closely, as we uh, had the privilege of becoming uh, more a part of their team uh, uh, doing these cases uh, with our transparent partners um so we started off with the product um and then we added the digital component and um it was interesting because uh you know uh, we we did not intend to uh add a, a services side of our business but it became very apparent that our customers trust us trust paragonics trust the paragonics team to carry these life-saving organs uh, from the side of donation to a recipient in our devices. And so for our customers, it was a natural, uh, progression in terms of how they thought about us as a company, um, you know, from product to digital, uh, you know, first, uh, last year, I think at the beginning of last year, I received my first call saying, Lisa, Our hearts, they already come on your devices. Uh, We already use your digital applications. Wouldn't it be great if you could just organize that entire uh, procedure uh, for us, uh, that it would include the uh, coordination and the organization of the surgical team uh, for a donor procurement? And um, this was really a moment where I realized um, that in this whole process, there are still many, many areas that uh, uh, where our customers are seeking help in order to ensure that they can get the organs to their uh, recipients waiting for an organ. So this is how we, uh, over the past 12 months, have really integrated this trifecta of product, digital, and service to provide that end-to-end solution for our customers.
0: Yeah. And, 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 you know, just the cursory way that I've, I've looked at this, you know, segment, it, it strikes me as pretty complex. You have multiple parties involved and and it is, I I think you alluded to it earlier. It's a very emotional time for the donor family, the, you know, and for everyone involved in it. Um, uh, But, but maybe for those that don't have, a, uh, those of our listeners that don't have as good a grasp, how, how does it how does it work? You have the donor families, you have organ procurement organizations, and then you have the, the hospitals that need to coordinate with one another. How difficult the process was that prior to Paragonics to sort of make work seamlessly?
1: Yeah, so it's it's actually a fascinating field uh, of medicine uh, that really depends on the collaboration and partnership uh, between transplant centers between uh, transplant centers and donor hospitals and then also these incredible organizations called organ procurement organizations. There are 57 of them in the United States serving 250 transplant centers. so the organ procurement organizations uh, take care of the organ donation process and so they are they're part of this uh, organ donor management and then the transplant centers, um, uh, are obviously uh, list the transplant recipients uh, for hearts, lungs, livers, uh, kidneys, and, and, uh, and pancreas organs, um, and try to uh, 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 provide the, the right organ for the right recipient. So, this is a complex process. And if you think about it, uh, there are about 3,000 donor hospitals in the United States. Uh, and these, so this is where a donation could potentially occur. So these 57 OPOs, uh, have to, uh, collaborate with the 3000 donor hospitals. And then these organs have to travel to 250 transplant centers. Um, so there is a lot of coordination, uh, but what we have specialized ourselves in is, uh, providing for an end-to-end solution uh, where a, a, a transplant sem- center simply calls our hotline and uh, says, look, we have, um, uh, we were just matched or so we've accepted an organ from uh, the stoner hospital. Can you help us with the logistics, with the coordination, with the surgical teams, and of course, with the Paragonics products needing to get to the site of donation? So, this is a very complex uh, process uh, process. Um, and this is exactly, you know, coming back to what we are about as a company, we always intended to provide a simple solution to this complex problem. And so uh, just like what we do with our product uh, and with our digital solution, in our services offering, uh, we make it very easy for our customers to um, uh, get the the service that they need uh, when they need it. So this could be at 3 a.m. in the morning or at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, uh, really making us a, a, 24/7 cust, uh, a 24-7 company serving our customers around the clock. Mm. Now, you,
0: now I'm getting... In getting going with this, you decide to focus on the heart first, and, and why? Why was that? And 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 maybe as a follow-on to that, how different are the systems from organ to organ?
1: Yeah, we we started with heart because um, there was really no other solution out there that uh, uh, addressed the the big issues in heart transplantation. Um if you think about 35% of uh, patients receiving a donor heart actually have huge trouble within 24 hours post-transplant. And, you know, I'm coming back to what I said earlier uh, in this podcast, uh, there's this uh, complication called primary graft dysfunction. So a third of all these patients receiving a heart actually struggle right after a heart transplant. And to us, this was unacceptable because we knew that, our hypothesis was that with improved preservation, you could reduce this complication rate. Um, so it was a, a very interesting market for us to immediately provide a solution for. Um, and, um, and so that's how we chose Heart as a, as, a as, our, as our first market. Now... In terms of the other markets, uh, I think lung was also chosen as the second market based on similar metrics. You know, There's really nothing out there that could uh, provide the support these, the lungs need during transport. But as we think about the other organs, the concept uh, that we apply to the different organ systems is the same. It is perfecting hypothermia and monitoring these organs during transport uh, continuously and reporting that out to the clinicians so they have control and oversight over the uh, organ conditions during transport.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So as you see things evolving, you have heart, you have lung, well, What what is what is next for paragonics?
1: Yeah, so we are in the midst of uh, our commercial uh, introduction of LiverGuard, which is a uh, liver donor preservation, donor organ preservation device. So liver is um, our first abdominal uh, market that we're going after. Um, And then we also see a tremendous opportunity to improve kidney transport You know, kidney from a just a number standpoint is the highest um, uh, volume uh, in terms of all the organ systems. Uh, But there are huge issues uh, with um, uh, uh, organ uh, with kidney transport right now. Um, many kidneys have flown across the nation, and it's very difficult with the current technology to really provide that care that these kidneys need as they travel from city to city, uh, often over very large distances. So, With our unique uh, design and architecture, we can provide for a device that uh, uh, solves for many of the logistical issues that um, have uh, really shown to be an impediment uh, for current technology. I just recently saw that in a New England Journal of Medicine paper where they looked at kidney preservation that close to a third of of kidneys couldn't receive the treatment or the the preservation that that, uh, we we are planning for with our devices because of these logistical issues, so it's a very large unmet need that uh, we believe we can make a very meaningful and uh, uh, a strong impact on um, within the next twelve to eighteen months.
0: And that and that raises uh, you know another question for me, and because this is clearly for these patients in need, when they can get access to a, an organ, I mean it's it's the best procedure, right? It's a life saving, often procedure. For them, and and yet we're still fairly constrained in our ability to um, really s- supply organs uh, to these patients in need. As you look at Paragonics, do you see Paragonics as being able to expand the overall supply of organs, or is it more the focus to just improve the quality of kind of the existing uh, organ supply?
1: Our primary objective is to improve the post-transplant outcomes with the existing organs that are available. Yeah. Um I love expansion markets and I love to think about how we can expand the market, but there are, you know, 50,000 organ transplants in the United States every year and we need to improve outcomes on those. And the reason why we make this our primary objective is that just think about the journey of a transplant recipient. Uh, years of poor health and uh, which you know at some point culminates in organ failure, whether that's kidney, whether that's liver or heart. So uh, a tremendous amount uh, uh, of time spent waiting for an organ. Then you finally receive, if you are so lucky, If you're so lucky and uh, are not one of the uh, patients that die on the wait list, of which there are many, you then are so lucky and get an organ. We fundamentally believe we've got to improve the system so that we can make sure that these patients get every possible advantage when they get this life saving gift that a donor patient heroically. Left for another individual on this earth, mm-hmm. and every possible advantage is not uh, is. It's actually our company slogan, wasn't made up by us. It was made up by a transplant recipient looking at our devices and and just telling me, as a Lisa, what you guys are doing is you're giving every possible advantage for a transplant recipient." So we are really concerned about all organs, and how we can improve patient outcomes, first and foremost, with the current organs, with the number of organs that are currently transplanted. Um, However, with the improvement in preservation that we are providing with our existing devices, as well as with our pipeline products, uh, we are entering the expansion market in transplantation. And what this looks like is that we are able to take organs that uh, don't come from the best sort of uh, donor recipient combination. Yeah. They're called extended criteria uh, donor organs, for example. Uh, so we're trying to improve the transplant rates of extended criteria uh, situations. Uh, and then also from a donor population. That is called DCD. So um, most of the organs transplanted come from brain dead donors. And this is called Donation of the Brain Death, DBD. Um, There is a growing pool of donors called DCD uh, that can be also uh, uh, looked at for uh, organ transplantation. And uh, with our technology, we will also be able to tap into this expansion uh, market
0: yeah, it's, a, it's a just a uh, you know, an incredibly motivating field to be in just to be able to provide these. And I know one of the areas you're particularly uh, passionate about are, are the use of uh, of uh, Sherpa pack in pediatric populations. And I wonder if you could talk about that because Pediatrics in our business is sometimes in you know, unfortunately an overlooked, Part of the patient
1: pool. Yeah, we, um, you know, we uh, w- we initially launched the Sherpa Pack cardiac transport system uh, for adult only. Um, however, we very quickly realized that we are uh, not serving at all the pediatric population, uh, and that we need to do something about it. So we uh, we did. Um, and we're actually, you know, our, our biggest uh, pride within the company is that we actually did pay attention to the pediatric mar- markets uh, that are often overlooked by medical device manufacturers, just because they generally present a smaller market opportunity. Um, in transplantation, however, I, I we felt compelled to really provide an offering for the pediatric market. There's nothing there is nothing more precious than a pediatric donor heart and there is nothing more important than a pediatric heart transplant recipient receiving every possible advantage without devices and this is why we have dedicated so much resources and so much effort and into this uh, into the pediatric market opportunity um, and uh, over the years we have also um, uh, created now a large body of evidence with our own clinical data in pediatrics. Uh, but as I said, uh, the, the attention here on the pediatric market has been incredibly rewarding and, um, we just can't wait, you know, how, uh, about other opportunities in this market and how we can help, uh, as a company. We also, um, provide, Pediatric support for both uh the, the lung and, and liver community as well now, based on our learnings from, from the heart uh market.
0: Yeah, and as you know, as you're talking, I mean, it just strikes me that you know this is this is one of those fields in medicine where you know the outcomes, and particularly when you're getting so many positive outcomes, it creates so much um you know motivation I can imagine both within your your company Paragonics but also amongst your clinicians and and I have to believe even the donor families feel much better about the whole process when they realize you know that it resulted in a successful surgery and that can you talk a little bit about those feedback loops and and how important it's been for Paragonics as a company
1: yeah so you know the in terms of the, the the feedback loops like how these positive experiences you know from the field how they feed back into into the company this is this is almost a daily occurrence so we uh you know we uh, uh we celebrate the small as well as the big wins and uh, uh contributions that we make um it is one of the most um, humbling opportunities, I always say, in, in any kind of career to actually make a meaningful impact uh, in a market. But it is the the uh, most important driver for our company and for our staff to really hear the impact that we're making. And we're hearing it from organ procurement organizations. We're hearing it from transplant centers. We're hearing it from uh, transplant recipients, and we're hearing it from those that are awaiting uh, an organ. So to be part and to meaningfully contribute in the journey from organ donation to saving a life, um, that's exactly what our team, our entire team, whether it's field team or office based team, that's what we were a part of. And uh, we savor those moments, we savor the contributions that we make. Um, but we also uh, make it the uh, really the the, the the core of what we do here at Paragonics. we serve uh, our patients. And when I say patients, it's both the recipient patient that is awaiting an organ. We also, however, serve the donor patient. Who um, uh, uh, decided to donate these organs uh, for the extension of life in somebody else? Mm. So this is a huge driver for um, our our passion in the field, uh, which ultimately gives us the success that we're that we're seeing.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I wanted to circle back to, and you alluded it to it earlier, is you, you know you started as as the you know founder in this business, you became the president and COO. You ultimately became the CEO, and you know not not many founders can make that transition from from you know really the the founding of the technology to actually running the whole business. And I'm I'm curious how you know how was that a difficult process, and what, what were some of the challenges? you overcame as you as you moved along that trajectory
1: yeah so you know i transitioned from COO to CEO um, at the close of our series a financing in early 2021 Um, and this also coincided with the retirement of the former CEO Um, it was uh, not a difficult transition for me Uh, and the reason for that is I think I had sort of many years in preparation for the job. Um, I think I always wanted the job and boy, did it feel good when it finally happened. Um, but I couldn't have done it with, without the, uh, support from the team, uh, from our board of directors, um, and from at the end of the day from, from all of our shareholders that are part of Paragonics, um, the internally, nothing changed, uh, because I was pretty much, um, you know, uh, uh, collaborating very closely with the former CEO anyway. So I think internally that transition wasn't felt very much, um, externally, it did change um. Uh. It did change. I could feel a change. I can't really describe it, but uh, uh. I you know suddenly received I don't know how many congratulatory emails about the transition, and I wasn't even you know aware that so many people were watching us. So mm-hmm. it it felt really good. Uh. So the transition was very positive. Um, And I could feel the support from the entire uh, community, especially here in Boston, uh, with a medtech community that's so strong and so collaborative.
0: Yeah. And did you, was one of the the areas of transition, I mean, obviously you're very, you know, you've had to really sort of, in founding this, you know, be kind of the, The person out there in the field uh, proselytizing the this as you know uh, something that can really improve the standard of care. As you moved into that CEO role, I imagine you you have much more exposure to investors. And is it a similar type of of thing, or how different is that? Was that relationship as you became the CEO to now also being the one primarily responsible for for keeping the business financed?
1: Yeah. So that portion only really hit me recently, uh, as we were raising our series B financing, um, you know, up to, up to, and including the transition, uh, we, uh, uh, we really had no institutional capital, uh, in the company. So we're privately funded, uh, by individuals who deeply care about, uh, transplantation. Um, and, um, I would say, you know, this this part of the journey really only became uh more real uh in the last two quarters as we started uh the uh, to kick off our series B financing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So maybe transitioning a, a little bit, uh, you know, because not only have you sort of operationally uh you know, your role has changed or evolved operationally, but the company has undergone enormous changes since the early days and so now you're you're kind of squarely in you know growth mode in terms of making this as as available as you can but one of the key parts of it and again you've touched on this earlier was the clinical data and that's really helped you know facilitate this this growth and and I think you guys took a rather unconventional approach to the clinical data generation I wonder if you you might touch on that part of it?
1: Yeah, it's unconventional for sure. (laughs) But let me tell you, um, when we um, approached clinicians uh, four years ago, three or four years ago, you know, with the question, how much data and what kind of data will you need to see to adopt this technology? And the unanimous answer was, Lisa, you will need to do a randomized clinical, clinical trial, yeah, and it needs to be sizable, um, and um, I thought about this answer a lot, and it didn't make sense to me, and it didn't make sense to me uh, because transplantation is a highly dynamic market. It's a highly dynamic clinical situation for any program that is doing uh, hard liver or lung transplantation in the U.S., and when I say dynamic is the field is constantly reflecting on itself, trying to optimize uh, the system. So there are changes happening not only system-wide across the U.S., but there are also programmatic changes happening within transplant centers year after year. And so we took uh, an approach that basically involved Uh, a registry, meaning that we would, our intent was to collect uh, as much data on commercial use of the product as possible. And uh, in March of 2020, uh, we launched our heart registry, the Guardian Heart Registry. And if you remember March, 2020, (laughs) um, the feedback on that was, uh, you guys are crazy launching a registry uh, at the, you know the start of a pandemic, but we did it, and actually centers had plenty of time to enroll patients and submit data. Which means that now in February of 2023, we have built the largest clinical database specifically focused in heart preservation and technology. Uh, we have over 1,500 patients enrolled, uh, and this database really represents. A, uh, a rich resource for the clinical community to ask the right questions about how do we improve heart preservation and what impact does it have uh, on our, on 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 outcomes? And um, this approach, while unconventional, has provided so much data and such substantial. Uh, clinical evidence supporting our product's value proposition uh, that uh, we, I think, at the the upcoming International Society of Heart and Lung Transplantation in April, which is the the premier meeting for heart and lung transplantation every year, uh, we now have over 24 uh, abstracts and presentations uh, on our own data and data generated by transplant centers across the U.S. and Europe. Um, so we really see this clinical data generation not just the means to support the use of our product, but also give back to the clinical community so that we can address the questions in a scientific uh way with large data sets.
0: Yeah. And you know, I mean it raises such an interesting topic for, for our field because, you know, is not to diminish the need for RCTs and you know, in certain contexts, but the things that an RCT can't do is really replicate a real world environment. And I, I wonder if you could talk about, yeah. about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, you know, uh, RCTs, obviously, you know, uh, I, I, I'm not going to argue this point academically, but as it relates to transplantation. Uh, I think one of the drawbacks is that you have so many exclusion or inclusion criteria that you're almost just looking at the ideal case, right? And uh, what we've been able to do with a registry approach that does collect real world evidence is to support the value proposition for the use of our product that wasn't quite uh, intuitive. Yeah. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't uh, a, a subgroup that clinicians were thinking of. What we've been able to do with this real world evidence is show transplant centers. It really doesn't matter whether you were looking at, at uh, you know, long ischemic time, long out of body times versus short. Whether you use it in the adult population or pediatric population, whether your patients have. A mechanical circulatory, circulatory support prior to transplant or not, in a multitude of complex clinical situations, we have now been able to show clinical value proposition for the product that we believe would not have been captured in an RCT. And that's really where the value of this data set comes in.
0: Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's what well, it strikes me about what you and the team have done at Paragonics is you've innovated not only on the technology and and not only on the business model and all the the digital and service aspects, but but also in your approach to you know how you how you uh, generate the clinical data that's going to be most impactful. And I think that's you know it's uh, I think something that we all need to bear in mind is that innovation takes place in multiple multiple dimensions in in these companies. And so maybe as we you know as we close out the session one thing I wanted to ask you about was uh the name Sherpa Pack because as I, I'm sitting here reflecting a little bit on that name and actually it's really an ingenious name but I'm curious how, how did you come up with it or who came up with it in the company
1: I think I might have had something to do with it <laughs> um I'm a I uh, I love hiking and um, just prior to Uh, founding Paragonics, I had climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And uh, the only reason why I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro was because of the help of, uh, uh, well, they're not called Sherpas there, but because of the help of uh, people carrying food and tents up the mountain. Uh, So, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it sort of reflected my feeling of we're really bringing something uh, uh, we're trying to elevate the field, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, really reaching new heights, but we are also carrying life-saving organs in our devices. And, and I thought that the name reflected the, uh, incredible work and the incredible effort and dedication that, um, Sherpas have.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a great place to round this uh, episode out, but Lisa, just uh, tremendous work at Paragonics and, um, uh, you know, you're having a huge impact on, uh, on patient care and, uh, in, in an incredibly important field. So I can't thank you enough for, for joining the podcast today.
1: Thank you, Jeff. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and, uh, I'm glad that, uh, Uh, you were able to shine some light uh, with this uh, information exchange uh, into transplantation and donation. Thank you.
0: Thanks.